Thank you all for coming on such short notice. I'd like to read a brief statement. Eastern Promise congratulates Liz Truss after she accepted Her Majesty the Queen's invitation to form a government and thus became Prime Minister of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Interesting fact. Ms Truss becomes only the second Prime Minister to represent a constituency in the east of England. The other one being, any guesses? Sir John Major, who is MP for Huntingdon in Cambridgeshire. Oh. Whatever your politics, we wish Liz Truss well, as these are extremely difficult times. And if she's ever in any doubt about where to turn for good news and tempered optimism, Liz Truss needs only to remember six words. Greetings and welcome to Eastern Promise. I'm Mike Rigby, and on Eastern Promise this week, we rejoin Chris Sargison, now CEO of Disson Thetford CAB, as he looks to the future after five years at the helm of the Norfolk Chambers of Commerce. We talk about the importance of the CAB. Chris buys me a beer and he also turns the tables on the interview. So the interrogator becomes the interrogated. <laughs> and that's very far from being all. Because I talk to Thomas Panton, co-founder of the sustainable shopping platform Greener. Having announced a crowdfunding campaign just this week, this is the perfect time to hear about the Greener journey directly from Thomas. And finally, beguiling you with its sights, sounds and many, many smells, we look at the top natural beauty spots in the east of England, as chosen by you in this week's Crowd Sorcery. Apologies to Chris Sargison. That was not Chris's band, the Voodoo Vultures. That was The Instance. Instant what? I don't know. Pot noodle, I presume. Sorry, Chris. I couldn't resist. Earlier this year, Chris Sargison completed a five-year term as the CEO of Norfolk Chambers of Commerce. As Chris took his huge array of skills into the charity sector, namely distant Thetford Citizens Advice Bureau, I wanted to get his view from the summit, as it were, as well as to hear about his next moves. If you're yet to hear part one of my chat with Chris, go immediately either to your podcast service of choice or to easternpromise.podbean.com and search out Chris Sargison. Now, let's rejoin Chris and myself at the Unthank Arms in Norwich. Other fine drinking establishments are available all across the east of England. So you're now, as we've probably before mentioned, Disson District CAB. What, yes. what, I mean, it seems a fairly obvious question, but what's drawing you there? Um, so I, I am a product of CAB. Um, I wouldn't be talking to you now if I hadn't been to see them when I was 16 years old. Um, 
And so I'm eternally grateful for the advice that they gave me and the path they put me on at that time. My experience with, uh, with the Chambers of Commerce has opened me to a lot of charities. I met some amazing people that work in those charities. And I'm always massively impressed and inspired mm. by what they do, which, which again, it sounds like words that you'd expect me to say, but it's completely... No, I, I, I do get it. I absolutely get it. Genuine. Yeah. Um, and so there's, there's a connection there and there's an understanding there. But I think in, in some respects, the, 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 the last five years are relevant to the next two or three years with, with the CAB. They are an extremely important uh, charity in the ecosystem of providing support. They do it for free. It's amazing how few people yeah. know they're a charity. They, they, take a, um, they take an approach to support which is a, a, a bit like going to your doctor with a pain and he doesn't fix the pain, he kind of gets to an understanding as to why that pain is there yeah. and what other things are going on in your life that maybe have caused that. So they take a very uh, holistic view of all the aspects and they don't just do one thing and you're out the other side. They work with people to try and fix a number of things in their lives and move their lives forward. Um, um, they are stretched in terms of the amount of activity that they're building, having to do day to day particularly in light of energy crisis and people needing more support, not less, and their funds are becoming um, harder to, to, to acquire. As funding through the usual sort of government portals become more internalized and, and, and less available. So it's a case of the classic disruption. I don't need to do what they do. I, and what, what I need to do is make, enable what they, them to be able to do more of yeah. what they do um, and try and bring to that organization uh, a level of experience that will open up more people to be interested in, in being supportive either through fundraising or through volunteering because um, they, they are a volunteer organization predominantly and they need a wide range of, of skills and expertise across the board across the range but need to explain why that's interesting and what the outcomes are there was my first day I've only this is day seven my first day through the door there was a lady um, who'd uh, was expressing her gratitude to someone that she's spoken to over a, over a number of weeks. And she used this amazing uh, um, uh, sort of re uh, uh, summary of, of, ha of what had happened. She said, I came in here with nothing, and I, and I thought, I have nothing, but now I don't have nothing, I have you. So you just think, well, That's right, lovely. how yeah. can I do more of that? So how can I enable more of that? Um, so I'm going to work with them for three days, uh, uh, in, in the working week and then I'm going to blow the dust off the consultancy business and yeah. focus on those on that sort of transitional work that brand and culture and narrative and um, and growth bits that we've been doing and, and, and try and be useful to other businesses and and stay annoyingly like a like a sort of whingy toddler in the corner of the room <laughs> with the chamber of commerce going i think you should do this <laughs> until nova goes will you go away yes it's done it's finished move on eject that man <laughs> so try and get that t-shirt innovation bit moving forward yeah, yes <laughs> um can you just reflect um for me on the uh, the 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 business community at its various levels has sort of various organisations, mm. the Chamber being one. Obviously, each uh, county has its own chamber. You've got Federation of Small Businesses, yep. you've got Institute of Directors, you've got Confederation of British Industry. You know, how does that all 
work together, I suppose. Let's let's go for the simplest term. Um, I'm, I'm sort of, you can't see this, listener, but I'm sort of turning yeah. my hands as if to indicate a clock or well, cogs. More like you are entering the Rubik's Cube Championship. Yes, and, yes, yeah, well, that's and unlikely. And you're but, warming up. Yes, uh, the Rubik's Cube Championship, again, very unlikely. But So how, how does that... Do you, did you sort of focus on, you know, we'll, we'll engage, but we'll, we'll, we'll stay focused on what we're doing, or is that... Is that always kind of a, something you, you, you take, take a, on a case-by-case? Case? So, day one, absolutely day one, I, I took the view and made it very clear day one that any entity that is setting its stall out to be supportive of anybody in business should get our support. We're all, we're all trying to do the same thing. What we have to do is be clear on our differentiator, what, our, what, what elements of it that we might do well and, and thoroughly, to where, where, whereas others would perhaps do other aspects um, uh, uh, in, a, in a different way more thoroughly. So the Institute of Directors is a good example, very focused on the individual directors and their, and their development and their training and their, and their expertise. Um, the FSB is a very good example of organisations of a certain size, Federation of Small Business, mm -hmm. um, that have uh, a very much... A, 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 a sort of daily challenge and a back office function around legal support, legal aid, and, and, and access to sort of services which they can tap into in and out when they need them. The the, the compelling difference, and 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 there are there are a number of examples I think where um, you should an organisation should have a bit of each one if it needs it or potentially um, uh, only grab, only, only sort of use the services of one if it's necessary at that time. Um, so, you, and you, you, you always work collaboratively, particularly with those that are trying to do the same thing as you, because you, you share the same stories and you share, you share the same purpose and you share the same values, but you do have a differentiator. That's why there's a Sainsbury's and a Waitrose and a Tesco. Yeah. Right now. Wait, you yeah, I'll have another one of those, please. Mosaic. Mosaic? Yeah. Have a go ship, please. Thank you. Proofreader, listener, that we are absolutely in a pub. Um, yes, absolutely. This is not... I, I do like <laughs> occasionally to fake things for comic effect. Well, I say comic effect, but so, this is absolutely genuine. Yeah. The, the differentiator that I, that, I, that I firmly believe is the positivity of the Chamber is that we're actually one of the few organisations, possibly the only organisation, that actually has feet on the ground. So we're the only one that actually employs people to, to, to be in those communities, to be a point of contact from the point of view of, I mean, the, there are management structures within others, but we, are, we, we convert our income straight back into payroll. Mm. Um, so we want to be, that's why we're trying to be everywhere to be helpful and to be supportive. So you go as much through an individual um, as through other people that rather than rather than being member to not rather than being but um, so it's not just member to member so the IOD and I've worked with the IOD and I've been a member of the IOD uses its IOD members to create um, uh, structures that support the wider membership which is brilliant um, what the chamber can do is it can actually put feet, feet on the ground and it can create things like debates and conferences yeah. and uh, and, and, and small meetups on a on a regular basis. Oh, what a superstar! Thank you very Thank much. You very much. I mean, that's that's a that's a real generalisation, um, yeah. and there are there are other similarities and, and and what have you. But 
that 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 ability to apply feet on the ground as as a as a, as a tour de force um, has meant that um, uh, we've we've been able to to try and uh, try and be as useful and as helpful and as engaging by actually being face to face with individuals and organisations, uh, as well as create uh, structures. Uh, like different groups of connects and what have you that members then be part of. So it's it, it's uh, its growth is matched by um, that because we're a non-for-profit. We're not because we. I'm not CEO anymore. It's a non-for-profit, <laughs> so you can convert your revenues into that into that feet on the ground behaviour yeah. rather than uh, sort of build 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 something um, uh, uh, some some other structure around the edges that. It's perhaps more valuable to you as an organisation, but not necessarily to people that are paying. Mm. So, it's it's it, it's ma matching again, matching that business need and matching that energy. Yeah. But the, the the ecosystem, I think, works very well. Mm -hmm. I think businesses are very very adaptable and and very clear on what what is the best fit for them at that particular time. Um, and my suggestion always is. I use a combination of, of, of those support mechanisms that suits you and your need at that particular time. So if you need an organization that actually wants to be involved in what you're doing and working with you one-on-one, -on -one, that's where the chamber is, is very strong. Um, if you need a sort of insurance policy approach, more or less, or, or, or a collective sort of group, then other, I mean, that's where there are better options for that than, than others. Yeah. I mean, talking about sort of the... the um business supports out there and I do need to obviously uh, I want to make mention of uh, the New Anglia local enterprise partnership uh, I was at the Digitech factory at City College on Monday and you know they were so so uh, involved in getting that off the ground likewise uh, the condimentum plant at the food yep. enterprise park Chris Starkey very kindly reminded me of, of the work they did there um, and uh, you were uh, are um, on the board of the Cambridge Norwich Tech Corridor. You're looking very expectantly at me to say, come on, <laughs> you can do it, what? you can do it, oh, find yeah. it, find the word. Um, you're on the board of the Cambridge Norwich Tech Corridor. Yep. And there was, I, I, just this afternoon, I've had people at a, a business meeting earlier, I've had people mentioning uh, that to me. And what was it about that, about what is it about the Cambridge Norwich Tech Corridor that, that, that makes it such a, a special proposition, a strong proposition, a strong brand that people tap into? Um, there's a couple of things in that. And, the, the, and that's, again, one of the real privileges, I think, of being part of, 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 of being in that, that chief exec role is that you are invited to, 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 to support ideas and innovations that those enabling organisations like the, the LEP and the local authorities put their energy into as well and what I've always been very careful of trying to do is saying well it's actually whilst I might have an an opinion what I've always wanted to do is express the opinion of the of the organizations yeah. that I represent so it's not what I think I'm trying always to to poll and understand and say this is this is what we think you speak um, as the office don't you, you speak, not, the, not the man yes and and you know we we uh, I was I worked with City College um, on the on the uh, um, on the Digitech factory and represented the tech community in the early stages of its planning and its design to say, this is this is this these are the things that the tech community want as outputs from that. So if you've got the funds to build it, then build it for the audience that that that, that will benefit from it. Um, and then we we were able to then um, 
uh, curate a, a number of sort of sessions where we brought those tech partners in to say this, these are the skills that we need now, but potentially these are the skills we need yeah. in, a few, in a few years' time. So, 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 so the same principles really apply to the Cambridge Knowledge Tech Corridor. But in addition to the Cambridge Knowledge Tech Corridor, and, and, it, and, it, and it probably is because you know, I do have a, I have a background, I've used technology at, all throughout my career, my t-shirt example will only mm. be achieved through technology. Um, so I, so I'm, I'm turned on by it a bit. I get excited by it, and I can, and I can, I can do geek, um, but also I can, I can do, yeah. I can do the, 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 the filter in, into the business community too. Um, but I, I, I love it because I think there is so much interesting potential and current activity in that tech space that you need a bit of a lightning rod that points people to it and a corridor like that yeah. is one of those mechanisms to do it. It's a branding mechanism, it's an identifier, um, it's, it's exciting and uh, it kind of does what it says on the tin. Um, but there's a, there's, a, there's a number of factors that come into effect to make it a success. One is the funding, uh, one is the branding and the awareness, one is the availability of the infrastructure and the land around it. But the bit I'm really interested in is that da -da, sales pitch element yeah. of it. Um, and what I want to be able to do is rather than rely on a kind of if we build it, they will come approach, actually I want to take as much positivity from the tech corridor to the doors of organizations and say, if you're thinking about locating into different locations, locate here. Yeah. And specific, it's a bit like the T-shirt, I think you would do well here for all the right reasons. You should be here. Um, and you're not, you're, not, you're, not, you're, not sending the neg you're not sending any kind of negative, you're not saying you may not have thought of Norfolk or you, may have, or you may have thought this or you may have thought that. None of that comes into play. If you're a particular organization with a particular skill set that wants particular access and, and, and place for your employees to be and ready access to, to a skilled labor force that dot, 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 then you need to be here. Yeah. So you've got, so you can, you can pitch it into the other Oxford, Cambridge Arcs and various other um, uh, longitudinal <laughs> landing strips yes. or whatever kind of mechanisms you want to give it. Um, but you, you've, I've, got, I've got something I can sell. Yeah. Um, and if you peel away the layers, I'm, there's a bit of a salesman in me without, without question. And then my first job was selling computers. Um, so I, I, I love to be able to sell something which I think is of value and I think that, that, that works. Um, so I really want to get into that bit. And we're, you know, we're in the early stages of it because um, you've got to have that infrastructure, you've got to have that mechanism, you've got to have that money, you've got to have that yeah. brand. But the bit I really want to get to is the bit where I can go into those organizations, um, uh, both locally and, and, and in the UK, and say, for all the right reasons, you need to be here, and actually be an ambassador of place as well as function about, you know, I, I built a successful entrepreneurial digital company in Norfolk without this, think what you could do you know, with it. With it, yeah. Those sorts of, those sorts yeah. of things. I mean, and it's interesting, by the time people listen to this, uh, not long before people listen to this, um, They'll have heard me talk to Sam Chapman Allen, leader of Breckland Council, mm. and you, you used exactly the same phrase that I put to him, you know, with Thetford, because uh, if you build it, if um, they will they come, mm. or is it if they come, then we'll build it? <laughs> uh, what what way round is it going to work for the for the public sector? And, and his, you know, you'll have to you'll have to uh, listen in 
to, to the the, uh, the broadcast to to see to see what he said, and um, but I followed that up with an on foot tour with the Greater Thetford Partnership, going around and being absolutely blown away by the scale of the offer in Thetford. Yes, and you know the the potential, the location, the infrastructure, road, rail, Cambridge just down the road, realism about you know what that partnership with Cambridge might look like. But by the same token, the, you know, how exciting. How uh, exciting. Haven't, to, you, haven't you skillfully um, taken us back to the start of this conversation? If I have, it's, it's due <laughs> entirely to natural ability. I'm not saying it's no way planned, because I, 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 I like the ones where... I do have a list of questions, but I prefer well, okay. to just riff on them. No, we'll riff um, on them. But, I, but it goes back to that starting point, which is the thing that I've found amazing throughout my time, is to be blown away by what's on your doorstep. Exactly, Yeah. Um, you know, the first time I saw the Priory in Thetford is a good example. I really hadn't grasped the magnitude of the site yeah. and the vision that was coming locally on the ground to say, these are the things we could do. And technology is, is a really good um, way of un unpicking that. You talked earlier about MPs, and obviously I'm, I won't say biased, but interested is, is a better word. Um, what's that like? And what's, that, what's the, I mean, the importance of it sounds fairly self-explanatory, they're MPs. But what's that like to engage? And what do you want to see coming from those relationships? Obviously, faces change, possibly every five years. Some stay a lot longer. What do you want to get out of that relationship, as, not just as the Chamber, but also now as, as the Citizens Advice Bureau? Um, well, the, I think the, the approach that we've tried to, that I've taken and I'll continue to take is, this is what good looks like. Can you help us enable it? Um, you know, I understand that MPs in, in, in their position and how they volunteer themselves to be MPs are expecting to listen and understand a number of challenges that are wide-ranging and varying across, uh, across all sorts of um, spectrums. But I always try and bring a solution and say, this is the challenge, yeah. this is what we need, and this is how you can support it or enable it. Um, I can't say I've had huge success with that. <laughs> <laughs> but it has been quite difficult and, uh, to, it, with Brexits and all sorts of things getting in the way. But let's assume that whatever normal is, we were normal. No. Um, that I would have, uh, I, I, it would have been, it would have been, uh, I think, better if I had been able to spend more time having those kinds of conversations. But things have been busy and, and, and focuses have always been around the now. Um, and that's a bit of a challenge, I think, when, with the M when we're dealing with MPs. See, they understand where their policies are and where they're setting themselves out to do. And um, both those in, in, in power and those in opposition, you you quite rightly talk um, the same narrative to everyone. It's, it's not just... Uh, it's not one message to one, one message to another. But I do feel that there is... Uh, I do feel very strongly that the more we can enable MPs with the hope that they are able to take some of those those suggestions forward as uh, as as aligned with their own policy or aligned with their own thinking or even actually I need to think differently about something then then, then that's helpful. Um, otherwise, you and this is what I tend to experience. You, we have the same conversation. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, that's to be expected if you're not necessarily just providing a solution. It's a bit different with infrastructure. I think infrastructure is, I mean, infrastructure comes down to money. Yes. Um, and where the money's going to come from and how you can enable that, that fund. So roads and rail is, and it's, it's obvious 
without whether nobody would disagree um, that you know, we need to we need to spend money on the infrastructure on the rail infrastructure between Norwich and London. Yeah, we need to get rid of a one and a half million year old rickety steel bridge that doesn't swing anymore in Norwich <laughs> Railway Station. <laughs> yes, uh, um, and we need to do more around the interchanges to enable goods trains to go at one speed and other trains. No, nobody would disagree with that, but we don't seem to be able to find the money. No. Um, and the same same with roads. As relevant in the business community, it's the support that's needed for businesses to generally feel good about investing and, and therefore growing, mm-hmm. um, particularly around things like productivity. Because um, as you know, as, as wages rise, productivity's got to rise quicker. You know, that's that's the, that's the challenge. But we we're no we're we're absolutely on in in many organisations. At the, the beginning conversations of understanding what productivity even means, let alone sort of introducing it and applying it, and and countries around us have got a bigger, better march on us, really. So yeah. we've got to do a lot quicker. So those those things aren't aren't necessarily as, as want a better word, as sexy for a politician as cutting a ribbon on something or pouring a bottle of beer on a rooftop. Um, <laughs> so they're harder to land, but I would say absolutely fundamental in, in any organisation is. Is to understand how you can you can improve your productivity and do more for less. Yeah. Um, if you're going to survive over the next ten to fifteen years. Mm. Yeah. It's, uh, even just doing something as 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 as, as daft as a, as a podcast, you 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 quickly find out where you are um, spending. If time's a resource, how you're spending more in you know going into every little you know, uh, mistake or, um, uh, ah, you know, in, in, in an interview when you're thinking it's perfectly fine, but you just want to get yes. it perfect. Yes. Um, and one of the things I, I, I tried to do very, uh, very early on, uh, which I'm going to reinstate for you personally oh, uh, for this one is, uh, ask a bit of a left field question okay. as I come towards the end of an interview. Uh, the voodoo vultures, <laughs> You, you had to know that was coming at some point. Taking the, the songs you love and them. <laughs> now, what I wanted to ask was, if God forbid, yes, but if some some you know zombie apocalypse or happen. meteorite or you know uh, alien invasion knocked out, I've never met them. I'm sure they're very fine fine artists <laughs> in their own right. The rest of your band, who are your dream picks to reconstitute? Like vultures. a pot noodle in sound, the voodoo vultures. <laughs> start with start with drums. Start with drums. Okay. Start with drums. Um, okay. So I, I I am a interestingly, even though I sing a, in a in a crazy guitar-y based rock band, I'm a real fan of of dub. Right. So uh, the. Uh, there is a, a dub a drummer for a band called Dreadzone, who just—he's ha- unstoppable. He's like a machine, um, uh, and he's probably twice my age now. Um, I wish I could remember his name, uh, uh, Doctor Somebody or other. So it'd have to be—I'd have to have a really serious, crazy dub beat drummer, and it would have to be him if I could remember his name. Right. It'll come back to me in a minute. But so so he would be—he would be. Yeah, uh, yeah, he would be the rhythm man, definitely. He gets the call, okay. Gets the call. Who's, who, who, your, your next pick, say, um, would it bass? 
Yeah, base. Yeah. So uh, it'd have to be my. It'd have to be back to the Japan link. Mick Khan, the right. most gorgeous man in, in music. Okay. Um, who uh, 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 ruined many songs by playing bass fretlessly. So you, <laughs> nobody wanted a fretless bass in their life. He decided that was the way forward. So he taught himself fretless bass. But he was a phenomenal bass player and the coolest man on the block. Always with a jeton cigarette hanging out of his mouth. Oh, yeah. Perfectly groomed hair, chiselled features, mm-hmm. upright, um, staring out into the crowd. That solemn, kind of you know, um, uh, uh, um, um, constant um, metronome of a, of, 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 a, of a guitar player. So, so fill the other positions because I, 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 I have not yet been to see. Okay, so well, the... normally, if you if you're lucky, you can have two guitar players. So you've got to, you'd have a lead guitar player and a rhythm mm-hmm. guitar player. Your, your lead guitar player has got to be has got to be absolutely crazy and and um, ultimately doesn't get past the age of 27 because of their lifestyle. Right. Um, uh, and I think that's probably best personified by uh, Murdoch, who's the cartoon character in The Gorillas. Ah, yes. So, yes, uh, so yes. He is just terrifying to look at. He yes, actually wouldn't cross him. No, you would not. No, so, so I'd, have it, I'd have a cartoon character as <laughs> Okay. And, and, and rhythm guitar, well, you know, I've got, I've got two guitars at home and I can't play either of them, so I'd probably try and teach it myself. So I'd split myself in two. Right. And teach myself rhythm guitar as well. And if you could go crazy and have someone on keyboards? Dr. Flicks from. Uh, Princess Band the Revolution. He always used to wear a full doctor's outfit, including a mask. So but he's insane. <laughs> and and I've got to ask this because it's just occurred to me. What what's your what's your opening number for this for the uh, you know the, uh, the 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 Voodoo Vulture Supergroup? This is tricky. There are so many songs. There are so many songs. Um, Anarchy in the UK. There you are. There you are. What well, other song could a disruptor have? Anarchy. <laughs> well, Anakin Chaos in the UK. And well, my apologies to the other <laughs> fine members of the Voodoo Vultures. I look forward to seeing them in action very soon. But Chris Sargison, what a pleasure oh, it's been. Oh, bless you. Thank you so much for Thank the opportunity you. to talk to your lovely listeners. No, it's the, my my uh, my uh, door is always open. If, if you can imagine a door in sound, yes, then that's always open. Thank um, you. And you have a, a platform whenever you need it, sir. Well, it would be good to come back and tell you how things are going. I'd love, I'd love to hear that. And, and equally, if you have any particular kind of questions you think the Sarge might know, ah, then yeah. I, I always, I, I have, I have, a, I had a crazy, crazy <laughs> yearning to take because you know these tend to be a one and done, but take what I've done and t- turn it into a, a magazine, mm-hmm. the Eastern Pro- the EP magazine, uh, an e-zine once a quarter, and I. <laughs> In my in my sort of my dream my adult dream state when I, I start putting together the magazine like I used to do professionally many 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 moons ago, uh, it, I, you'd, you'd, you had a column, and we'd <laughs> Sargison's old peculiar and yeah. and you would and, and I would invite you to to to, to write it but uh, some the, random rumblings uh, some random rumblings. But listen, yeah. I'm going to do something unorthodox to you. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Go on then. No, this is this is great. So. How many, how many how many podcasts have you produced so far since you started this? Ooh, I'm just in the middle of putting the final touches to episode 33. Mm, okay, so 33 people in. What are you picking up? What's your sense of 
What's your sense of the, the, the greatness of the region that we're in? What kind of common messages and words are you picking up at the moment? If you could knit them together with, with some, some, some words of, of, of wisdom and insight. Um, I think what it would be, definitely for me, is that we go back to what I said earlier about, and we both said earlier about, people quietly doing business with the world, but being quite unsure of who we are as a region. Because the story almost that we're telling ourselves is incomplete. It's not full. It's not. I don't know, it's, it, it's 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 almost mythical. In that it's not really reflecting the truth as I find it on the ground. You go to places like Essex, the University of Essex, Colchester, Idea Space in Cambridge, uh, the Food Enterprise Park, uh, Haverhill, the Epicentre. I'm just pulling names out from my memory, but lots and lots. Fuel Studios, Axela, uh, lots yeah. of places, and you know, some of them say, "Do you come out this far?" Some of them say, and some of them say, we really want to reach out to the rest of our region. And I think it's a region that really wants to tell a new story about itself. Mm. To say, it's not about when Cambridge wins, everyone knows that Cambridge gets all the goodies and we get... Yeah, yeah. No, 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 yeah, yeah. It's not a zero-sum game. When Cambridge gets the goodies, there's opportunity. Mm. There's always an opportunity. There's always something that we can work together and, and, and find out new stuff, work out new stuff and, and really start making progress. As, uh, one of my dreams is really to write a book uh, why, East Anglia, why the East of England will save the world yeah. um, and look at everything from energy to food to science. Oh, it's all in there. It's all fantastic stuff. And that is really it, the, the fact that we, there's a new story to tell ourselves. We just haven't written it yet completely. Right. So you're going to have a dinner party... And the, and the invitation says, come and help me help East yeah. Anglia save the world. And you're going to invite four people, living or dead, that you regard as the, the best brains that would actually be able to solve that conundrum. Who, who, who would be on your invite list? And what would be on the menu? Oh, <laughs> me. Um, well, yourself, that's definitely number one off the bat. <laughs> I have to say that because, it, just, it, you know, A, you're here, and B, it's inspired. It's been a very and inspiring you a conversation. Pint. And you bought me a pint, which is critical. Um, oh, the other three. Now, this is, this is one of those occasions where I'm going to have to edit this down for lengthy pauses and thinking. Yeah. Um, I think I would... Um, I'd, I'd get a ringer. I'd, I'd pick up the phone to David Parfrey and oh, get, yes. him, get him back, um, whether we, you know, dra drag him back to Norfolk. Um, Science Santa, as I used to call it. Yes, uh, the, uh, the uh, ambassador extraordinary and plenipotentiary yes. for the east of England <laughs> in, 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 in the southwest. So get, get him back. Um, ooh, ooh, the other two. Living uh, or dead, doesn't matter. Living or dead, well, I don't... Let's it's, go with living, actually. Living let's go living. I mean, I don't know, you know, uh, the, the only one dead I can think of at the moment is recurring to be Julian of Norwich, but I think she's, <laughs> uh, she's not really a dinner party kind of gal. We'd have to um, say Grace, wouldn't we? We'd have to say Grace. <laughs> uh, and I think it would probably have to be, uh, this is a very boring choice, um, not a boring person, but it's a bit predictable on my part, is Saul Humphrey, because I think he's such a powerful voice on sustainability at the moment. And the other one... Um, Ros Bird from the um, uh, the Anglian Innovation Partnerships and the Norwich Research Park because when I, I met her there was someone who was just fizzing with ideas yeah, who knew yes. knew where things needed to be changed yeah. and I was just itching to get at it uh, Dave Martin at Condimentum the CEO of Condimentum because he's living proof I think that the East of England can bring in the best from across the world and 
What would be on the menu? God, I don't know. If, as long as I'm not cooking it, anything you like. <laughs> um, I, I, I do a very fine line in carbon. Uh, really? Yes, I do very... You've not uh, got a signature dish? Uh, uh, si <laughs> <laughs> it's a bucket. Signature bucket. No, because I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible cook. I'm an absolute dreadful cook because I, get, I, because I, I live with ADD. I get distracted so very easily. So the raw, burnt, <laughs> you know, my, my da daddy's going to cook tonight. Oh, no, no, really? Can we get takeaway? Um, I, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass on that one. Right. Um, I'd, I'd get someone else to worry about that or, or possibly uh, get a room in a, a restaurant somewhere <laughs> in Norwich and we'll, we'll do it there. But um, uh, I slightly bent the terms of your question there by having five. But uh, That's fine. Five is good. No, you can keep going. <laughs> You could keep going. A bigger, keep, bigger table, yeah. Table. Oh, Ann Leach. Mustn't forget Ann Leach. My yes. friend Ann Leach used to run the Spire Hospital in Norwich, uh, now chair of um, Starston Parish Council. Right. Phenomenal person. Well, hey, if all these people actually do really exist... They do? I didn't just make them up. There we go. Why don't we do it? We Let's do it. do it. Do you know, one of I'll money... cook. OK, there you go. Well, <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. You know, one of my dreams is actually to do uh, a, a, an awards ceremony in Tetford Forest under the trees. In summer, obviously, with, uh, with lights and... So you win uh, an award, then get eaten by a wolf. That's it, that's it. <laughs> that's it, the wolf cleans up for you. You know, it's, uh, it's the circle of life, my friends. Excellent. Oh, thank you ever so much. Pleasure. I've really, it's, 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 I'm not really bothered if it's recorded anymore, probably because I'm halfway down the beer. It's just too much fun. Thank you very much, Chris. My pleasure. My huge thanks to Chris for a truly fun evening. If you're feeling left out of my list of top dinner guests, I am truly sorry. But Chris did give me an excellent idea for which you will want to stand by. Because it gives me no small sense of satisfaction to say that Eastern Promise is growing. Both my six and 12 month targets have been hit two months early in each case and the Eastern Promise audience, both inside and outside the UK, continues to grow, particularly in the USA. I'm looking to build bespoke partnerships to take Eastern Promise further. Audio is an incredibly flexible medium. However, the real strength of Eastern Promise is in its brand as a beacon of belief in the East of England. Belief in the region's collective potential, in the unique opportunity our region presents. It's by sharing the amazing news about what we have that the East of England can achieve sustainable, values-based growth. If you believe that too and want to know more, please do get in touch. You can DM me, Mike Rigby, via LinkedIn. I'm easy to find. Just search for my name and then click on the one that looks like a potato wearing a blue jacket. Alternatively, you can email me at host at easternpromise.com. Site. That's site as in website, not as in eyesight. I look forward to hearing from you soon. In early September, the department store Selfridges announced that it wants half of its transactions to be resale, rental or refills by 2030 in response to customer demand for more sustainable shopping. That's a positive step to be sure, but some in the east of England want to go higher, further, faster. 
Meet Greener, the platform that aims to make shopping sustainably so much easier. Greener offers a one-stop shop for planet-friendly products and aims to take the stress out of shopping in an eco-conscious way by eliminating the jargon and taking the paint pots away from would-be greenwashers. I asked co-founder and CEO of Greener, Thomas Panton, to tell me more. Yeah, greener.co.uk is a marketplace for sustainable products made by companies that care. We are bringing, you know, more transparency, accessibility and affordability to that market than ever before, because as you'll be well aware, um, shopping sustainably has not always been easy and it still is confusing and murky waters. So our whole mission is to make that, you know, more accessible to more people ultimately. And I, and I think if one thing we've found you know, over the last year and a half of sort of putting the research into this is that consumers are really asking for it, right? So ethical consumerism has grown a thousand percent in the last 20 years compared to household spending just increasing by 2%. So you can absolutely see there's a demand for it, but yet there's still confusion how to do it. And, and that's where we come in. And that's what we're bringing to consumers um, at the end of this summer. You've certainly coming this at a, at a really uh, good time, because as you say, there is a lot of interest We've seen a lot of of moves towards this over the years. So there's a lot of interest in actually making a real difference. I mean, we are sitting having this interview in, in one of, if not the hottest day of the year, certainly top five. So there's going to be a renewed interest in climate change, I think. Uh, there are fewer and fewer people who are just thinking of it as a nice sunny day and more like, hmm... Is this yeah. what's you know going to be the shape of things to come? So you, yeah. you're picking a fantastic moment, I think, to go on on the market. Um, tell us more about that the journey to the idea, and and because you you're spin out from the University of East Anglia. So what, yeah, yeah. What's that experience like as well? Yeah, I mean, it's been a really, I think, a long one to get here. Really. Um, so all three of us co-founders um, come from UEA. Um, we did our undergrads. So I'm doing a masters there. But it wasn't through UEA that we sort of started Greener originally. Um, so really, my background was I did my undergrad and worked for Greenpeace, the environmental organization, for just over four years. Um, I worked predominantly engaging thousands of people into the climate movement, you know, regardless of whether they were, you know, eco warriors um, <laughs> or whether they or whether they were, you know, just the average person who, you know, understands that there's a problem but doesn't necessarily want to have to change their whole lives to you know tackle that issue um and greenpeace are really good at that because it's just pressure group which you can support and they do that heavy lifting and that really resonates with people during my time with greenpeace i worked a lot of events um, predominantly festivals over the summer and i mean as we've all seen across various sort of papers and, and articles there's a really huge amount of waste that is left at festivals and, yeah. and it's a real problem that they're trying to tackle one of those being tents um so in the uk alone about two hundred and fifty thousand tents end up in landfill every single year um and actually only about two percent of tents are collected at the end of festivals and most people think that they are collected by charities but that just doesn't happen only about one or two percent does every year so my i actually left greenpeace to set up my first company which was specifically contracted to collect those tents uh, and repurpose, recycle, um, or reuse them, ultimately, wow. yeah. um, which was fantastic. I, and I, I actually didn't utilize the UEA enterprise system as much as I definitely should have at that time. Um, and, you know, despite being at the university still and, and 
being integrated in there. But I did learn a lot. Um, so, you know, being a solo founder then um, and having to navigate the <laughs> treacherous startup sea, um, you know, I had to I had to sort of learn quite quickly how to manage things. And we managed a team of 30 people at its biggest um, and was really successful. Um, but then um, something called the COVID pandemic came and there were <laughs> there were no festivals and no events, <laughs> uh, which which sort of put us in, you know, put me in a sticky position as a founder, but also my team. And I think we had to make a really difficult decision that we couldn't wait because we didn't know quite how long this was going to yeah. last. Um, but we, we, what we could do is learn from what we'd done and learn from what we, who we talked to. And, you know, we'd spoke, spoken to hundreds of businesses um, who were making better products, who were ethical in their, in their nature, in their foundations. We'd spoken again to thousands of people who were begging for these better products, but really didn't know where to find them outside of that scenario. So, you know, the instant thought for me was, well, why don't we give them that access? We've already made those connections with businesses. We've got lots of consumers we know wanting it. Let's par pair them together. So, Straight out of that, really, um, is when we got involved with UEA um, to initially start speaking to them. I brought on my co-founder, Hugo, um, who was at UEA with me, but is also a friend and a, and a band member. And we've done lots of <laughs> stuff together. Um, that's another story for another time. But, um, you know, and, and, and very quickly, we, we realized there was a gap in the market. Um, we realized that UEA could help fund through grants and through mentorship. Um, and that was really, really beneficial going into a new sector. Um, and even though we had lots of experience, which was transferable, um, we definitely needed that mentorship going through that early stage R&D phase. Um, and then we brought on our third co-founder and yeah, subsequently have um, been awarded two of the grants from UEA and they're investing into our current investment round, which is open at the moment. So, you know, they've been fantastic. Um, but I think, you know, as with any of these sort of mentorship areas that you can go and get advice, um, you sort of take what you need and, and you know, you balance that because not yeah. everything's going to be relevant to you. Right. Um, and, that, and that's where we are now. So with their support, with their, you know, with various funding and awards, um, we're, we're now, yeah, bringing them, bring it to bring it to life. <laughs> so th th that's really interesting. How do you tell? Uh... I suppose it's a lot of it has to do with your previous experience uh, pre-pandemic, mm. but how do you tell which parts of the offer from the UEA enterprise services are going to be relevant? Or is it just experience? I think that's a really good question. Um, I don't think you know until you go and speak with them, firstly. Like we, like I said, with the original company, I didn't use them at all when I should have. Um, and that meant that my first experiences with them were I was sort of going into it unknown sort of unknown not really knowing what they were going to offer and, and i think you know look they're, they're a really great place to get that early stage startup advice um access to early stage funding if you've got a really good idea and you can back that up with research and you have to put the work in as an individual um they're not just gonna you know give you handouts um, but they will mentor you to get there um and, and i think how you choose what is relevant and this is just just you know across all advice right it's not just from uea this could be from an investor an advisor a fellow founder um you know you and me having a mm -hmm. chat like everyone knows something you don't um but ultimately it's your your baby right your business yeah. your idea you're the one who's been working on that for however many years and you can gauge quite quickly what is relevant and what you know is helpful but not really relevant to you you, you also will make mistakes like we've taken advice and then not from uea actually but from other places and 
and then being like, ah, probably shouldn't have done that. Um, but it's fine. Like, so long as it's not a major thing, you can keep chugging along. And I think that's just being a startup, right? You, even if you are super, super experienced in your sector, um, which we are with climate and sustainability and, and consumerism, um, you still are going to find slightly rocky roads at certain points. But that's when those places where you can go and get advice could be really helpful. And UEA are. Yeah, I've been one of those. In terms of, you said your your, your investment round uh, is currently open and we had Gary Douglas Beat of Innovate UK uh, Edge on a co-production I did with the um, Cambridge Norwich Tech Corridor and he was an absolute fountain of knowledge about how to seek investment, where to go for investment and I just wanted to get a sense from you of how you're finding this experience of kind of putting yourself out there and 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 showing your way your you know your wares as it were um yeah. of, of greener.co.uk and what you can offer how has that been and and what is what is it like to keep up your morale i think that's a really good question um I, difficult to answer i think um there's a couple of things i'd mention here you know we none of my co-founders and i come from a net, a family net of money, right? And that that's quite rare for founders. A lot of the, a lot of the time, you know, obviously, you hear those stories of founders who came from nothing and built themselves up. And um, but but often there is that support. And you know, Jeff Bezos is a great example. He got two hundred and fifty thousand dollars from his parents as a sort of loan to get started. Um, <laughs> wouldn't that be the the dream if my oh, parents yeah. could give me that much sort of money to get me started? You know, it just doesn't happen to a lot of us. Um, so. For us, it was really about working out what is relevant to us. Uh, firstly, there's lots of avenues, right? You could put your own money in if you've got savings. Um, you could get grants, um, like Innovate Grants, for example. Um, you could go to your university um, and, and ask if they can offer any funding or avenues to funding. Or you can raise investment, um, or you can go down debt financing, right? So loans and stuff. Now, we've say, sort of taken a mix of those, and I think our experience is that equity fundraising isn't for everyone. It really depends on what type of business you're building. You know, we're building a platform which we envision being the future of shopping, right? You know, we're not building the Amazon of today. We're building the Amazon of tomorrow. Yeah. We're giving consumers access to live and shop sustainably en masse with less impact um, over time. And that market's growing. So for us, it makes absolute sense to fund, you know, fundraise um, and get the added value out, you know, the value add of investors and, and advisors and, and, you know, institutions. Also with grants, the difficulty is that often they're very niche. So we've had to balance this quite a lot. So we're a marketplace, but we bring in innovative tech into yeah. the back end of this. You know, we're the first multi-vendor marketplace in the UK to have an impact calculator built in, which we've built, which tells you how much carbon emissions, water and plastic you save when you buy these products compared to their mainstream alternatives. Now that's quite new and that's quite techy and innovative, but because we're a marketplace, we're not always eligible for grants because it's consumer shopping. That's ultimately what the top level is. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that's a really hard balance, right? And you've got to make sure that if you are pitching for grants that you do fit into their thesis, otherwise it's just absolutely no point. In terms of morale, um, I think ultimately, look, I, I predominantly lead the investment reach out, um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One, I'm, I'm good at talking. I probably like my voice a bit too much. <laughs> um, but, but secondly, 
um, I've done this for other organizations, right? So with Greenpeace, I started as a fundraiser. Yeah. I started with having door after door shut in my face, even though we knew we were doing a brilliant, fantastic thing, which would help ultimately save the planet. And these people, you know, people didn't really need to support by much to get on board with that movement. Mm. And that's quite hard, right? To, to, to take that and, and try and navigate your morale through that. But what it does do is give you a pretty thick skin so that when you are doing that in other scenarios, you, you know, you aren't beaten down. That's not to say it's not hard. Um, mm. You know, this is our baby. We, you know, we've come up with it. We built it. We put the time, the sweat, the tears, the sleepless nights in. And when an investor turns around and goes, I just don't think you're good enough. That's a really hard hit, the hard thing to hear. Right. But equally, there are other people who really believe in us. And when that happens, it doesn't matter how many no's you've had. That one yes, whether it's a thousand pounds, whether it's a hundred thousand pounds, it's really validating and really fulfilling and can just completely wipe out that lack of morale if you are feeling that. So so I think, you know, you have to be thick skinned. You have to know that it's right for you. Um, but you also have to be aware that it might feel rocky, but it's a it's an upward trajectory a lot of the time, right? It's yeah. a hard mountain to climb, but it's still going up. And that's really exciting. That's a very good way of looking at it. Hard mountain, but it's 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 all in the ascent, as it were. Um, so talk me through the experience of somebody coming to the greener.co.uk platform. What is their experience going to be like? Yeah, no, really important as well, because we're not building the traditional marketplaces, the marketplace that has sort of been out there already. We're going a bit deeper and further into engagement and learning and, and social aspects as well. So at the very top level, if you came to the greener.co.uk homepage, it's, it's a shopping site. You can search, you know, see the different departments and you can go through and click on products. But everything behind that is there that if you want to read more about the transparency, about the, the way we vet, about us as a business, about the brands, about the different labels they have, all of that work, that heavy lifting has been done. So ultimately, you can spend as much or as little time on that platform as you want, but you will find what you're looking for to make you feel comfortable that this is a product which is better for the planet, people and your pocket ultimately as well. So really that, that splits into three different areas. You've sort of got the direct shopping platform, um, and then you've got the learn side of that platform. So that goes through everything from, you know, how we vet um, the difference in labels and why those labels are better. Why is a vegan product better than a non-vegan product, for example? And then a lot of people don't really know that. They just hear it a lot. Yeah. Well, we can give you sort of the, the, the backing, the, the really digestible information if you, if you want it. And then I think the third thing is, you know, we're very aware that with consumerism, often you just want a quick purchase, right? So for us, we've built in that capability to do that. But also when you get to checkout and when you go your basket, you are still able to see that impact data that I talked about earlier with carbon emissions, water and plastic. So when you get there, you can engage with that, you know, and, and later down the line, we'll sort of gamify that a little bit as well. Like, you know, you can use that data to play games, earn points, spend those points. And that really encourages that positive reinforcement yeah. on what you're buying, but also keeps people there. And, and that's really important because, you know, there are some great sustainable marketplaces out there where have laid the foundation for sustainable shopping. But one thing that is really missing is that engagement with a wider audience. And often that comes down to accessibility, transparency, and a good brand. And yeah. I think 
what we've really focused on is that when we go live, we've put the work in so that when you go on the platform, yes, you can just shop, but also there's so much more that you're getting out of our business than that, just that. And that's really important. Are you looking at just individual consumers and families at this point, or are you looking as well at, or will be looking as well at bulk purchases like businesses in the public sector? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So um, to begin with, it's just the individual consumer, although there's no reason why you couldn't bulk purchase, but it probably wouldn't be the most cost effective way <laughs> of buying those products on bulk. Um, but there are absolute plans to build into a, a, a sort of B2B wholesale platform um, in the back end of that. It's not something we're launching with, um, but it's always been in the roadmap. And the reason for that, and I mean, as you probably know from from asking this question, is that individuals can make changes we can change how we shop but i'm a massive believer that it shouldn't just be down to the individual to save the planet i think that businesses and governments are the ones that need to change the most and ultimately if we can provide a place for them to make better purchase decisions as well then ultimately we're tackling a much bigger problem Mm. as well which isn't just individual consumerism it's you know it's whole sectors you know and, and that's really exciting um and look, we've built the foundations to do that, right? All the tech's there, the tech stack's behind it. All we'd need to do is make sure that we've got enough vendors who sell wholesale to sort of be able to accommodate those sorts of orders. There's a perception, and I honestly don't have any data to tell you whether this is fair or not, but I think there is definitely a perception that at this precise moment in time, where we are in uh, July of 2022, <laughs> that... Um, uh, most people are focused on uh, not to engage in hyperbole, but survival in yep. in terms of, you know, e- eking out what they can afford and uh, putting s- sustainability on a lower uh, rung yep. of the priority ladder. Now, I'm not 100% sure that that's necessarily true in and certainly in all cases. It may be some for some at the very sort of extreme end of the of. of, of of uh, the socioeconomic scale but what's your view about how we can stop that uh, that narrative that oh we don't have time for this green stuff you know we don't have time we don't have money people aren't worried about that right now because you know as, as, as i'm sure you'll agree and I, I know a lot of people listening to this program will agree uh, that, that the planet really doesn't give a hoot about what socioeconomic you know, yeah. one of its yeah. most meddlesome creations is getting up to. Uh, yeah, no, it's a really, really important question um, and a pretty big question as well. So I'll try and keep this succinct. <laughs> um, but look, you know, we are we are going for an economic downturn. Um, there's no denying it, um, whether that is because of bad decisions from sort of banks and leadership or whether it's to do with sort of political crises, you know, in Europe and, and beyond. Um, ultimately, it is happening. Um, and that means, you know, particularly with energy and, and how much we have to spend there, there are things which get sacrificed. Now, again, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but sustainability always stays pretty high on, on consumers sort of um, awareness scope, I guess, if you want to call it that. Um, but you're absolutely right. It does drop down when something like this happens, um, but, but not much lower. Right. That's it's still good, up yeah. there because we still understand that this is a problem. Um, the weather tells us this. Right. Yeah. Like we're not. You know, we might be like, oh, great, sunny weather, I can get a tan. But also, we all sort of know deep down, this is a real problem, right? The UK shouldn't be this hot at this time consistently. Yeah. And we shouldn't have heat waves, you know, more and more frequently. Like It's just completely unnatural for us. Yeah. Um, so we're all aware of that. And I think that 
there's no avoiding those hard truths. However, again, that doesn't stop the fact that our wallets are lighter at the moment. So there's a couple of things here which are really important to note. One is we've really focused on trying to bring an affordability aspect to what we're providing. Traditionally, sustainable shopping has been in sort of two sectors. One is they are good products, uh, but they're quite expensive, luxury price point, or they're affordable and, and relatively cheap, but they're not very good products and they break very quickly. And, and you know, they're, they're sort of from a certain stereotype, which, yeah. which, you know, may or may not be true. Now, that has drastically changed over the last decade, particularly over the last few years, um, where now we're seeing sort of supermarket brands being sustainable products. So, mm. you know, Wild Cosmetics, one of the brands that we've signed up, they're a little bit more expensive than your average deodorant. However, they're a refillable. They last longer. They care about people, planet, and your pocket. So over the long run, you're saving money. You're also saving the planet and you're caring about people that are making that product. So there are various different incentives there yeah. for you to spend a little bit more up front, but actually save over the longer run. And that's often the same now with refillables and reusables is that Yes, it might be more expensive from purchase one. And I know that doesn't help for people at the lower end of the sort of bracket. Um, but these things, again, are still improving. The prices are coming down. Um, but ultimately, it's that initial purchase. And then actually, it's much more affordable going forward than, than just buying the same toothbrush over and a plastic toothbrush over and over again or whatever it might be. For us, you know, I think what's really important is that we're transparent about it. Um, there's a big aspect of positive reinforcement in what you're in what you're buying mm -hmm. we're not telling you to buy things that you don't necessarily need um we are big advocates for circular economy so if you don't need to buy it new don't buy it new um which can often make it cheaper but some things you have to buy new cleaning products cosmetics uh body wash you know mm -hmm. these things you can't buy secondhand. Um, i'd like to see anyone try <laughs> um and you know in that circumstance we can make positive decisions, sustainable decisions, which actually don't affect our price, you know, our wallets as much as we may think they used to. Um, and there are some fantastic cleaning products on our platform, which are the same price as their mainstream counterparts, mm. and they're refillable. So actually you're saving a hell of a lot of money um, by buying those products over time. Um, it's still a decision. You know, we're not saying it's easy. Um, there is a certain amount of education that comes with that, but we have done as much of that heavy lifting as we possibly can. Yeah just make it as accessible and affordable to individuals i think some things will you know the the, the whole economy is going to take a hit but economies recover um and as you say the climate doesn't wait so you know we can't we we, we can slow down as individuals maybe our purchase power but ultimately as you say when it comes to sort of governments and and businesses we absolutely still need to be making big changes as we go forward. We can't be swayed by what's happening here, um, particularly as businesses, I think. Uh, and that's really, you know, something that will become clear through purpose-driven businesses, which are becoming more and more common. Yeah. Are you going to have such a thing as a rating star systems on your products or are you leaving that for others? No. Um, so we're not trying to actively, um, you know, promote a product more than it's counterparts in the same sector mm. we vet products so that whatever you buy on our platform you know you're buying better uh, we have a phrase which is better not best and the reason of that is everything has an impact so if you're on our platform and one product has the most glorified environmental credentials but it's actually a bit out of your price range 
but still on our website, you find one which is still a better product, but it's just a bit more affordable. Buy that one. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we're not trying to tell you to buy the absolute most luxury price pointed product on our platform because it's the best environmentally. We're just trying to say, look, we can all be a little bit better in what we purchase. And if that's affordable to you, then then that's still great. Um, there's a reason we rigorously vet brands and their products because we want you to have that choice, you know, no matter what your bank account balance says, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Now, I've got to tip my hat at this point to the Anthropocene uh, website. Uh, I read an article that talks about the business and entrepreneurship researchers are increasingly interested in moral markets, where businesses offer market-based solutions to social environmental problems. Now, to keep this kind of canter through what the website says as brief as possible, the upshot is that they were looking at how green and eco-startups fare in cultures that are predominantly strongly market facing strongly environmental positive and i'm thinking about sort of places in germany for example some of the german german states and they found that it's where those two cultures meet so you have both things together again the example they give is the western us california the eco businesses do do the best they can there's less you know the the, the competition is on very much on a level playing field but they're not sort of getting blitzed out of the water by, you know, um, by sort of competition from from other areas. What's your view of the of a moral market, and where would you, I suppose, place uh, both the UK and the East of England on that score? It's a really interesting question, um, and I think that it comes down to that, you know, what I was saying earlier with accessibility with sustainability. Um, you, you can't really have one without the other. You know, my co-founder Hugo did some really great customer segmentation, uh, like breaking down different sort of customer groups or individuals across the UK um, and their purchase power to their intent uh, versus, you know, what they focus on. And what's really interesting is that the really hardcore eco-warriors are often very loud about needing to shop sustainably and, and change our habits, but often can't necessarily afford to do those more expensive price points. Um, and then the people with sort of middle intent, um, but maybe more capital are actually the ones spending the most money in the sector. I think that you have to balance that. Um, and you have to balance what the market demands and what you know the planet needs. Um, I think that the East of England does that's pretty well on it. I mean, we did break down by city sort of intent to shop sustainably. Um, and, you know, you've got the, the the sort of ones which you'd expect to come up, like Bristol, Brighton, um, and, and that sort of fluctuates across the UK. But overall, the UK is doing surprisingly well compared mm. to other places. I mean, the ethical consumer market um, is worth £121 billion in the UK. Uh, that's more than Europe. Like yeah. not not in total, but through you know um, through ratio, uh, yeah. we're actually much higher than a lot of other places. So as individuals, we our market and our focus on sustainability are becoming more aligned. They mm-hmm. are becoming mm-hmm. crossover, which means that the UK is a really great place for sustainable businesses to boom, and also just in other sectors as well, like tech investment. Um, I was at a Google Startups and Tech Nation event um, a month or so ago, and it was looking at a decade of UK tech. And actually, obviously, Silicon Valley and the Bay Area, you know, 
dominate sort of investment into tech. But actually, the UK has been doing surprisingly well across the yeah. rest of the world. And, and that's really exciting, um, particularly for innovative small businesses. Now, tie that with our incentive to shop morally. Um, that That's a massive market for us to lead the way um, to, to sort of ethical business or um, these moral markets, um, as you may call them. And I, and I think that particularly in the east of England, you, look, we've got two universities here, one of which is world leading in its climate research. Um, there's a lot of incentive and evidence for the region to sort of lead that way as well. I do think there's a disconnect um, between the city, the universities and the rest of Norfolk and east of England. And I think that needs to be reconnected personally i think yeah. i think that there are some fantastic things happening outside of the city um there are some great companies um sop is a is an ethical business based in norfolk you know they're not in the city directly and i think that if we just reach out a little bit wider as a as a market um we can actually engage more people than you previously would have expected to in the area um, i think the east of england has a lot of promise there um and, and i really um sort of hopeful that local governments and, and local businesses can lead that way a little bit. Obviously there are restrictions when it comes down to what you get from central. <laughs> um, but you know with that is a conversation again for a different time perhaps. But um but yeah so so I think that there is a crossover. I think the UK is doing well compared to the sort of rest of Europe. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's coming from government. I think that is predominantly led by innovative startups. Um, and and people, you know, people are demanding it, and people are 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 starting it. One of the things I actually absolutely love uh, about the east of England, um, and I'm not saying this is uh, a unique thing, but it's something <laughs> that uh, occurs to me gr uh, very much, certainly doing this podcast, is the extent to which people in the east of England, businesses in the east of England, uh, institutions don't wait for permission. Um, and particularly, I'm thinking, you know, people like yourselves and the academic and the private sectors, they really crack on to see what they can do without yeah. necessarily having to go and knock on the doors of number number 11 Downing Street um, <laughs> or the Department for Leveling Up or whoever it may be. Um, and, and I think that's that, that's to be greatly admired. And I think in many ways that is a bigger draw for investment than the you know what I like to very dismissively call the the Oliver Twist approach, which I worry is 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 a bit easy for any place any organisation to fall back on to think well you know the, this is our due and we shall go down to London and hold out our caps and ask for more, which they mm -hmm. they hear like you know how many thousand times a, a month you know how many hundreds yeah. of times a week that you know bang 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 we we need more money and they just roll their eyes yeah. and carry on. Uh, whereas if, you know, my part of my reason for doing this is, is if we can, a big reason for my doing this is if we create the narrative of success as you're doing very much, we create the narrative of positive engagement, success, it will drive that forward rather than arms folded. These are all the things we don't have and we want. Well, that's lovely. Yeah. You know, um, one thing. Yeah, well, I mean, look, some of, some of the biggest brands have come out of Norfolk um you know coleman's barclays started here you know that whether these brands are ethical brands doesn't really matter the fact is, is they have gone on to become world leading and well known and i think that 
when I first came to university in Norfolk um, in 2014, um, I was shocked at how hard it was to get here. Um, you know, it, one single road all the way from Oxfordshire to to Norfolk, pretty much. Um, the trains had been stopped. There was no longer a train line um, from Oxford to Cambridge, and then getting to Cambridge to Norwich was difficult on road. Um, even to London, the trains were often cancelled. The buses were, there were alternative bus routes. And yet, over the last decade, that has drastically changed to the point where we have so much more accessibility, possibly aided by the fact that remote and hybrid working has mm. sort of grown and people have flocked away from big hubs like London and come to places like Norwich and Norfolk um, to, to restart and rebuild in different areas. And that's really promising. I, I, and again, you know, when I went to this Google event, you know, what was the little city that was mentioned at the end of a list of fantastically big cities in the uk norwich norwich yeah. is mentioned and i was Damn like right this is fantastic yeah. you know east of england is is leading the way we're quiet but we can definitely be louder and we can and this is why we're here right you know we could have chosen to go to london and set up and have access to all the big institutions in london and be able to knock on the investment banker door or whatever but look norfolk is a place where we honestly believe can lead the way with um with the future of shopping particularly, but also just generally with industry. Um, and, and we'd love to stay here and keep that sort of growth happening and bring another great brand out of the region um, and more attention to the region as well. Yeah. So you, you start, you're slightly covering off my next question, which is, <laughs> so what does the future hold for Greener? Where's, where's your, what do you, have you got sort of early plans for expansion or is it very much, let's get through this, this period of investment? Um, no, we, we have pretty ambitious plans. Good, good. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I, I think we're sensible. We know what we can achieve in the time and the capital that we've got um, and that we're raising. Um, and this raise right now um, for our launch allows us to you know, really focus on the UK um, for brands that are distributing in the UK to UK consumers. We're based in Norfolk. We'll be employing people in the region and, and really you know, nail that down. When we raise again and go to growth, we have huge plans for this. So there's not only plans to expand to Europe um, and bring in sort of the same model in their most sustainable countries. So the Nordics, Germany was mentioned, Portugal and Spain as well. Mm. Um, and then further expand from there, but, but also bring in other features as well, right? Like one of the big things which people are so used to and personally i think again shouldn't have to sacrifice is getting their products that they've bought quite quickly and amazon have done a smashing job at this but they've had a really damaging impact on the planet by doing mm. this um <clears throat> plus the fact that they you know just destroy hundreds of thousands of products every week when they're returned but anyway <laughs> um but what we'd really like to do is bring in zero emission same day or next day delivery um over you know within 18 months and and the reason for this is we can do it in a really smart and efficient way by having miniature urban distribution centers partnering with people like zedify for example um, and then getting products to people in the time frame that they want but still focused on having less of an impact mm. still focused on buying sustainably and still focused on the future of shopping rather than the past um, and and i think that we are positioning ourselves to do that very well um, and it really is our 
our hunger and ambition that will drive that growth. Um, but like I said, we're raising now so that we can do the first 12 months and, and get started and build a foundation of customers. Unless that happens, all of this is just waffle. <laughs> it certainly is not. I'm sh I've every, every confidence because it's a, a fantastic plan. It's a beautiful brand. Uh, I wish you every success. Thomas, Thanks thank you much. very much for being on Eastern Promise today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much. My thanks to the abundant Thomas Panton for speaking to me. To find out more about Greener and their current crowdfunding phase, visit greener.co.uk forward slash crowdfund. Swallows, saplings, squirrels. Ow! <clears throat> These things abound in nature, whose breathtaking wonders sometimes feel almost commonplace in the beauty of the east of England. But where in our region should you go to experience the soothing embrace of Mother Nature? Time for a spell of... Crowd Sorcery. Let's make like an acorn in autumn and not hang about. <clears throat> Straight out of the blocks, Minsmere is the vote of Tom Abbott of Green Easy. Uh, Jack Weaver, meanwhile, Greater Thetford Partnership Manager at Breckland Council, drops the needle on what he says is a broken record, but what I maintain is a timeless classic. Thetford Forest. 19,000 hectares of plantation, the largest man-made forest in the country. The Little Ooze and the Thet Rivers. The entire Brex landscape, says Jack, full stop. Thetford serves in spades that primal need to be near trees and water. It's got its own forest and two rivers, for goodness sake, says Jack. He does go on to give honourable mention to his childhood home, Mercy Island in Essex. Dr Mark Eastwood, Director of Internal Audits at ARM in Cambridgeshire, writes, Kelling Heath is just gorgeous. But then he admits he's terribly biased as he owns a home on the heath. It's the place where Dr Eastwood recharges and finds peace. Well, I have to say, Mark, I agree with you completely there. A huge favourite of my family. My daughter loves feeding the sheep on the viewing point overlooking the railway and the sea. This year is the first year we haven't been in ages and we truly miss it. A glorious view and a great choice, Mark. Neil Griffin, Innovation Director at the Innovation Centre Knowledge Gateway at the University of Essex, likes Tunstall and Rendlesham forests, but his favourite place to get out and walk is Sutton Heath. I'm afraid I know neither Tunstall nor Rendlesham yet, but I think I soon will. Genial gentleman of business Brian Bush, solutionist, advocate connector. Thetford Forest always settles me, and also the lovely beach at Cothive. Brian, Thetford Forest, again, does exactly the same for me, and I think you and Jack have very much in common there. Richard Ross of Beyond Wealth Management writes, We're spoilt for choice in Norfolk, very true, but a firm favourite is Tyrrell's Wood, just off the A140 near Pullham Market. It is simply magical, says Richard, and the woodland folk even decorate it at Christmas time if you have small children, or even soppy big ones. Thank you, Richard. 
After 15 years of working in South Norfolk, I've still never come across Tyrrell's Wood. Every day's a school day. Amy Wright, Events Account Manager at Norfolk Chambers of Commerce. One of my favourite walks, says Amy, is West Harling Woods with a stop-off for coffee at Thorpe Lodges. Amy, you've mentioned one of my favourite words. Uh, that's coffee, not walk. I must find out about Thorpe Lodges, though, which admittedly is not why we're here, but it's my show. Richard Powell, OBE, Environmental Charity Advisor and Independent Chair. Richard says, I've been lucky in my job to have been to some stunning places and project manage the creation of many. I love RSPB Lake and Heath Fen, Wolveswood near Hadley and Suffolk, Captain's Wood Suffolk for Bluebells, Strumpshaw Fen and the fabulous Burney Marshes. I could go on, says Richard, but he adds, solace comes on Irvistrand Beach in autumn and winter. Do you know, it's funny the number of people in our region who really, really love being at our coast uh, towards the end of the year and the, the raw primal power of the ocean battering up against the shore. And the best place to watch that from is undoubtedly in a nice warm cafe on the seafront. Thank you all for those brilliant contributions. I can't declare a winner. We're all winners, having so much natural wonder on our doorsteps. Next week... Yes, I want to know about your favourite independent shop. Butcher, baker, candlestick maker, high street, city centre, or in the heart of the village. Look out for the next spell of crowd sorcery on LinkedIn and let me have your recommendations. And that's all from episode 36 of Eastern Promise. Next week, we're off to Cambridge to visit Ideaspace, a community of founders and entrepreneurs based at three sites across the city. I'll be chatting to Ideaspace MD Benjamin Hartley and visiting two of the three sites, which I can honestly say confounded my every expectation about Cambridge and its innovation ecosystem. But what it did do is a huge amount to make me optimistic and excited about the future of our region. Wherever you're listening from, please do tune in. It only remains for me to thank Chris Sargison once more for sharing his experience, knowledge, ideas and for buying me a beer. Thank you too to green shopping guru Thomas Panton for taking us through the greener story. A special thank you to Claire Haynes, Michelle Chambers and Simon Hughes for coming to see me take part in the Men's Craft, Men's Laugh Comedy Showcase in Norwich last week. It really was very much appreciated. Thank you too to the Pharaoh of the Frequencies, Engineer 49, currently laid low with COVID. Get well soon. To all my crowd sorcerers, and to you for listening, thank you. I'll be back next week. Yeah, well. Until then, bye for now. Have you noticed that I put in a different little zinger every week? Hmm? You must watch these points. <laughs>